Um, anybody uh, this week experience a little bit more fear than normal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I woke up a few more times this week and, and uh, scouted out the perimeter and made the shotgun closer to hand and made sure it was working. Uh, and oddly enough, today we're talking about fear. We're talking about living on faith, not in fear. And so that somewhat aligns. Now, there's a, a video we're going to show you. This is an Olympic skier in the last Winter Olympics. Uh, and just watch this routine. She found a glitch in the system and was able to get to the Olympics, although she can barely even ski. Watch this. As Elizabeth Sweeney, 34-year-old from Hungary, 34th in the World Cup, what can she deliver on here in Pyeong Chan? Guess what place she got? Last. <laughs> she could barely, see, she had only learned to ski a couple years before, and she found a way to get to the Olympics by going to competitions that nobody else went to um, and just doing that. So she got to the Olympics, and that's all she could do. Now, I want you to compare your life with an Olympic run like this. You know, would you be like her, or would your life maybe be like a, a Sean White thing, flipping up, through, you know, going up through the air, living on faith and boldly doing it rather than maybe living on fear and just making it. I think a lot of us as American Christians, we just want to make it to the end of the run without falling over and then we'll be happy with it. Let me ask this another way. Write down on your notes in front of you, think about this, on, at your memorial service, when everybody's sitting there and your picture is up front, what do you hope people are saying about you? What do you hope people will say? Better yet, what do you hope God says when that's happening here and you're actually standing before Jesus, the perfect judge, what do you hope he says? <laughs> yeah, we hope that he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now I would ask, is the way that you're living now going to lead to him saying that? Or is the life that you're leading now going to be like, well, at least you made it. Barely. We're going to be in Luke. We are starting our series, Building a Life Worth Living. And we're going to see in Luke chapter 9 how Jesus describes a life worth living. We're going to, this is going to be about a five-week series, and I encourage you to, to be in all of them. Because as we go through, we're going to add up all these different aspects of life. So that in the end, we will stand before Jesus, and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And here in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 22, Jesus describes his expectations. He describes how to live a life worth living. Let's start Luke 9, verse 22. Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes 
and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would please uh, speak to us this morning. Jesus, reveal yourself more and more to us. Let us be faithful servants, uh, faithful followers. If we need to make changes, I pray that we would do that and that we would live lives of bold faithfulness, not lives of fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we start to talk about building a life worth living, I, I want to just ask if you're like me and you have a building project, do you really just kind of want it to be done? Like we, we're about to start building our house and I would really like it to just be done. Um, I want to be in, I want to be sitting by the fire, I want to be reading a book and having dinner around a real table. I'm not really excited about the eight-month process or whatever it's going to be of, of building. Maybe you're like that. Well, I asked this about our life. So as we look at building a life worth living, we're going to see some aspects of that life where we don't measure up. And I'll be totally honest, we're all going to have that because we haven't arrived yet. And that could lead us to, to guilt because we want to just be there. We, we want to just arrive. But a wise man once told me that life is a journey, not a destination. So I would encourage you as we go through this, if you feel convicted, that's good. If you feel guilty, that's not good because you're covered by the blood of Jesus. But let's let the Holy Spirit convict us and lead us his direction, but not lead us to, oh, I'm not there yet. Because guess what? It's a process. And we're all in process to some extent. So that, let's look now at how to build a life worth living. How does he start? Luke 9, 22. Jesus, speaking of himself and what he was about to do, said, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. A life worth living is built on the foundation of Jesus and the gospel. That's the foundation. So if you want to know how to build something, you start at the foundation. If you don't put a good foundation in, guess what? Your house is not going to work so well. The foundation is Jesus and the gospel. And he lays it out right there. He says, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise from the dead. That's what your life and mine is built on, the truth that the Son of God gave his life for us and rose from the dead. That's why we do communion here every other week, because we never want to forget. We never want to move past what Jesus did on the cross, so we build on that. We talked about this some leading up to Christmas, about the gift of salvation, but God's grace saves us, but it doesn't just save us, but it leads us into life. The grace that he earned for us on the cross. And it says here, Jesus wrote, that he must suffer. You ever read that part? He must suffer. Not, I might do it this way. I might suffer. He must suffer. From the very beginning, this was God's plan. You read the beginnings of Genesis and you see right away God's plan to redeem us from our sin was to send his son to die on the cross and to rise from the dead. True Christianity, I mean, the only way to God is Jesus Christ. There isn't, you know, the common belief right now, all roads lead to the same place. All religions are basically the same. And as long as you follow one, you're going to get there. No. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
There is one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. So the foundation is Jesus. Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 3.11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way, and we build on him. But now, so we're saved. Now, what does he call us to? Being good? Going to church? Sounds boring. What does he call us to? Look at verse 23. And he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. After the foundation is laid, which is Jesus, belief in him, faith in him, now a life worth living is built on following Jesus. It means we are going on mission with Jesus. Where Jesus is going, we're going too. And by the way, Jesus is wanting to do great things in our valleys. And are we going to follow him into those things? Or are we just going to be good Christians? But it's built on following Jesus. Where is Jesus leading that you need to follow? What is he telling you that because of fear... You're not following. Is there a neighbor that he wants you to build a relationship, maybe share Jesus with, a friend? But you're not following Jesus into that because you're afraid of what they'll think of you? You're afraid of rejection? Is there a relationship in your life you need to be done with? Jesus is leading you to be done with the relationship, but you're afraid that nobody else will love you or accept you. You're afraid of what might happen. Is there a relationship you're supposed to pursue, but you're not because you're afraid of rejection? Whatever that is, are you afraid? And is your fear preventing you from following Jesus? I like this quote by Edmund Burke. It says, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Maybe you've heard that before. But that good men and women do nothing. Uh, as I was preparing, I read some about Nazi Germany. And, and the Nazis and the Holocaust. And it's interesting, and a lot of people ask the question, why didn't the rest of the Germans stand up against that? Because most were not in favor of what was happening. But it was too dangerous to step up. I mean, some did, and they were killed for it. I mean, some, I read one story, a lady that didn't teach her daughter to say Heil Hitler, and she was guillotined for it. So, so there was fear, but there were a few. There were a few, maybe you've seen the movie Schindler's List. There were a few that, despite their fear, stepped in to do something to save people. Now, we are not Nazi Germany, but there is evil all around us. The sex trafficking in this state is real. I don't know if you knew. It's real. That's evil. There are kids that go home and mom and dad are not really available to them. They're, they're struggling with school. That, that's an evil. That these kids are suffering with that. There's kids around the world dying from bad water. That's evil. There's pornography addictions. There's gambling addictions. All these things are evil. And here we are as the church. And are we doing something about those evils? Now, you probably can't do everything about all of those. But what evil is happening around you? I, I read somewhere in Scripture recently, forgive me for not writing it down remembering, but Jesus said, don't be succumbed by evil, but overcome evil with good. There is so much evil that Jesus wants to overcome, but he works in and through his people, not around them. So, so what is it that God wants to do, and he wants you to follow him into that, to overcome, again, all that's necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. 
And I would, I would beg, let's not just be good Christians. Let's just not be good churchgoers. Let's be Jesus followers. This is rampant in our American churches. Our American churches in, in general, not all by any means, and every church has pockets of faithfulness, but in general, we sit in our comfortable box rather than engaging the evil around us, rather than following Jesus into what he would have us do. And the reason why is fear. The reason why is fear. I've seen it over and over in churches over and over, and when I talk to pastors over and over, what is it that churches fear? They fear losing people. They fear losing money. I don't know if you knew that, but a lot of churches, big decisions are made mainly because of money. And so they're afraid to boldly follow Jesus because of what might happen. You look at, at churches that have pastor, and by the way, in every church, the pastor is eventually going to either die or retire or move on. But often when, when a pastor retires or whatever it is, many people leave the church because they fear change. They want what they had. And it means that they were just following a guy or they were just doing this church thing rather than engaging in God's mission together. When you're engaging in God's mission together, guess what? When God changes some people in it, okay, <laughs> because we're not about that person. And so the church fears change. That's why we do crazy things here like plant a church in Minden, because we don't want to be afraid to faithfully follow, even when it's hard. I mean, we can maybe have a show of hands. How is, is this hard for some of us? Yeah. Does this take sacrifice? Yeah. But I'd rather follow Jesus than sit comfortably. So it's all about following. Look at verse 26 real quick. We're going to skip forward. It says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. That's one of those verses I'd like to highlight with a sharpie. Because if, if I'm going to be ashamed in this life of Jesus, it means when I stand before him, he's going to be ashamed of me. That's the opposite of well done, good and faithful servant. So this following, what is this following like? Look back at verse 23. It says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So this following is a specific kind of following. It's not be good and go to church. Although you should be good and go to church. But it's about self-denial. What was the cross? So Jesus here was speaking of what he was going to do, but it was a picture they were very familiar with. This was a popular method of Roman execution. And so these criminals who were destined to die would be, they would start somewhere in the city and they would pick up the cross beam of the cross. Very heavy piece of wood. And you know, with Jesus, he was beaten almost to the point of death before he made this walk. But they would carry this cross through the streets. It was a spectacle. People would come on the side and watch and throw things as they would carry their cross to the point of their execution. Then they would attach that cross piece to the vertical piece. They would put the person on it. They would lift it up and drop it in the hole. And so here, if you saw somebody carrying their cross, they were on their way to die, and they were suffering. This life of following Jesus is not easy. We can make it easy, but that's not what we're called to. Building a life worth living means self-denial and sacrifice for God's kingdom. Self-denial and sacrifice for God's kingdom. But I want to make the point. Jesus doesn't ask us to go anywhere. He doesn't go first. He asks us to follow. He doesn't say, go over there. It's going to be horrible. He says, follow me. He goes 
first, and then he goes with us. And the reason that we can live this self-denial is because what he did on the cross earned us everything. We know the end of the story. We already win. The game's over. I mean, like right now, if you went home to go watch the, the Chiefs and the Patriots, if you already knew the end of the game, it's kind of boring to watch, I guess. But for us, we continue in this battle, but we know the end. Jesus is coming back. He's going to set it all right. In Romans 5.8, anybody in the youth group that was there this week that knows Romans 5.8, we memorized it. Izzy, Lydia, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do we believe that's true? If we believe that's true, we can boldly follow in faith and we will suffer for it. The life worth living is full of self-denial and sacrifice for God's kingdom. Doesn't this go against our human nature? Our human nature wants comfort. I want the comfy seat next to the fireplace and a warm cup of coffee. But yet the life of following Jesus is sacrifice. Here's the way Paul wrote it. It'll be on the screen, but 1 Corinthians 3, following the verse that we already read, says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So this is somebody, the foundation is laid Jesus, you're saved, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you belong to him. Then he's going to talk about how you live that life. Verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation, now by build on it, he means how you live, the decisions you make, where you spend your money, where you spend your time, those things. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I love the way he describes that, this picture. So here's, here's the picture. You're saved, built on Jesus. And then you walk through life making decisions. Who are you going to marry? Where are you going to go to church? Where are you going to serve? How are you going to spend your money? All these things. And every decision you make, is there's something placed in your hand. And either it's a precious stone or gold or silver, or it's wood or it's hay. And those things that are gold, those things that are precious will last. Those are every decision you make according to scriptures for the will of God you know, empowered by the Holy Spirit for his glory. Those decisions, those things are, are the gold, the precious, and they may not look amazing. You know what I mean? People around might not even know what's happening. And so our standard isn't the world, but God. And so those are the things. We may do good things for the wrong reason, and guess what? That's straw or wood. Maybe we're serving to be noticed. Maybe we're serving just to feel better about ourselves. Those are not precious stones. So anyway, we build on our life the things that we do for his kingdom, and then we go into judgment. And so that's the picture here. He says it will be tested by fire. So I picture just this great furnace, and you're walking through it into the judgment. Now, you're saved because of Jesus. So you're secure, and you walk through, and this flame just goes, and you get through the other side, and whatever's left is what matters. And so we're, we're going into this, this great uh, banquet with Jesus. Uh, it's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And you're going to get there, but some are going to do very little in their life of value. And so they're going to get through with almost nothing in their hands, 
but they're there, and thank God they're, 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 they're grateful to be there, but I kind of picture there's going to be a, a couple tables of people still smoking. You know, their, their clothes are singed. They're like, oh, we made it. But, but that's it. They, they just made it. Now, I'll tell you, that's not the life I want. I want to come through that furnace with, with a whole bunch of treasures there, not for me, but because God gave his life for me, he's worth me giving my life back. Because I love people. I want to see them for him. I mean, those are the things that are going to be about. I want to get through. And Jesus goes, man, you got an arm load there. <laughs> well done, good and faithful servant. By the way, it was really me doing it through you. You don't get the credit. But that's the life worth living. And so I, I like the picture of how Paul describes that. So the life worth living is now also one that is given away. Look at verse 24 to 26. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him I will be ashamed. So you see here, it's one that is given away. Whoever would save his life will lose it and loses it for his sake. This is the opposite of the American dream. You and I live in the best country in the world. And we were raised with the American dream. You know, maybe it's owning a business, but it's, it's having a good home. It's having a good car. It's having enough money for retirement. By the way, those aren't bad things. It, when those are the central thing, then it's the bad thing. But it's about Jesus Christ. The life worth living is one that is given away. We give it away to God. We give it away to others. Here's the measure. So, you know, picture that, that skier up there, and there's the judges up in the booth watching going, huh? <laughs> well, here, God is watching us, and he is the only judge that matters. By the way, my opinion doesn't matter. The person next to you, their opinion doesn't matter, unless it's in agreement with God's opinion. So, so what is God's measure? How is he going to judge us in the end? Matthew 22, 37 to 38, it's on screen. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. In John 13, 35, John wrote this, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What's the measure? Love. If we love God because he first loved us, then we will love others, and that leads to our actions. We can go do a lot of good things, not for love, and what's the value? There isn't. Read 1 Corinthians. There, there's no value in even good actions that are done selfishly, not for love. It's all about love, which means some of our actions nobody will see. In fact, most of them. Most of those, those jewels that we walk through with, they're not going to be the big things that people are clapping for. They're going to be the little things that you do day in and day out that have value. They'll be consistently moms with your kids, dads with your kids. That's treasure, leading your kids God's way. It's the investing in the friend or the neighbor. It's the stepping out and just sharing your faith, showing up when they need help. It's that single mom that you keep showing up with and helping and, and maybe being a role model for those kids. Th those don't seem like big things. Those are the things. Those are the value. Now, there may be some other big ones like joining a, a church plant. That's a lot of hard work. Like going to Africa. Like getting six shots in one day, that was Wednesday. Anyway, I hope there's value for that when I get to the other side. Dang yellow fever shot. 
But it's the things that we do for love. And again, they might not look amazing. The measure of a life is how that person loved God and others. What prevents us from boldly living lives of love laid out for God? Fear. Isn't it? What are you afraid of? Think about this. What is that thing that you know God is leading you to, but you're not doing it? What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of rejection? Are you afraid financially? Maybe it's going to cost you, and you're going to have to give up certain things. What are you afraid of? Let's live lives of faithful obedience, not fear. Now, I woke up last night, not afraid, but um, a little bit. I thought I heard a knock, so I walked the perimeter again. But while I was doing that, I was thinking about this message. And God kind of gave me this, this idea of, you know, okay, here, your big idea that you want people to walk away with is let's live in bold faithfulness, not in fear. But is bold faithfulness really an absence of fear? I don't think it is. What is courage? Is courage the absence of fear? No, courage is being faithful and walking forward in the midst of fear. So yeah, God is asking you to do something bold, and maybe there's some feelings of fear, but you know what? If God is asking you to do it, and he's promising to go with you, then you go. doesn't mean the fear will disappear, but it means God's worth it, and I'm going to go anyway. So bold faithfulness isn't always the absence of fear, but we're going to choose to be faithful rather than sit paralyzed by our fear. I agree with the statement, you've probably heard it, that we will regret more the things we don't do than the things we do do. We will regret more the things that we don't do than the things that we do do. And I'm not talking about sin. By the way, you will never regret not sinning. You won't look back and go, man, I wish I would have done that sin two years ago. But you will look back and go, God was leading me to this, and I said no. Those are the things we will regret. Kids at school, the things that you will regret, and I know looking back, is that one kid that's outcast sitting by themselves at lunch that everybody rejects, you'll regret not going and befriending that kid. You'll regret not building into them and showing them, you know what, somebody loves you just the way you are. Those are the things you will regret. But I don't want to live with regrets. And so, you know what, let's look back and let's not regret the past, but let's look forward. How can we live moving forward without regrets? Boldly following him. What is God asking you to do? Again, is there a relationship he's asking you to give up? Is there a relationship he's asking you to pursue? Is there a sin he's asking you to give up? Is your marriage crumbling, but you're afraid to get help because you're afraid what somebody's going to think of you? Get help. Walk forward. Let's, uh, let's talk about the Olympics again. Can we raise this? So imagine a, a balance beam in the Olympics. Maybe you've seen those. It's kind of ridiculous how they get up and they do these cartwheels and back handsprings and all this stuff and flips on top of a balance beam. Now I want you to picture your life, your Christian life, as a balance beam act. Now, it takes faith to step on the balance beam. Okay. So you get up on this balance beam of the Christian life. You step on it. You've been told salvation is through Jesus. You believe he died on the cross and rose again. And maybe the person that, that led you to Jesus was honest. And they said, and by the way, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to mean uh, a battle with Satan. The enemy is going to actually come against you. Uh, you could suffer for it. But anyway, you get up. 
with faith, going, okay, I'm going to live this life. Maybe you then go to church and you hear this sermon by your pastor that's all about living boldly, and you walk out of church going, yeah, yeah, I want to, I want to give my life to Jesus. But then you start to attempt your, your routine, and you realize maybe it's harder than you thought. Maybe you share your faith, and you're rejected. Maybe as a parent, you have a kid that is choosing a lifestyle away from God, and then you're left, am I going to continue this routine? And so you start to get afraid, and so you, you know what, I'm just going to play it safe, and you, you, okay, this feels a little bit better. I like this routine, so I'm, I'm just going to sit here on this balance beam, I'm, I'm going to go to church, uh, but I'm going to make sure it's, a, it's one that the pastor's funny, and the music is what I want, not too loud, and you know what, I, I'm just going to... Oh, yeah, this feels good. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this life. My kids are going to wear helmets all the time. Um, they're going to wear a lot of sunblock. We're going to play it safe. Um, I'm going to have a really nice car because uh, that's, that's what I think I deserve. Um, and, and I'm going to give maybe 2% at the end of the month, but only if my, my uh, NFL Sunday ticket's already paid for. You know, and I'm just going to live this life. I'm going to be comfortable. Uh, I, again, I, I'll, I'll go to church, but, but that's kind of it. You know, I'm not going to go on any mission or, or anything like that. I'm not going to join a group because they might know me and then they might not like me. And so I'm just going to play it safe. I'm going to get a good job at school. I'm not going to carry my Bible around because somebody might make fun of me. And then, Jesus, will you, will you please, uh, you know, give me a good car, give me a good life. And, and please don't let me have cancer because that's bad. And... Maybe, just maybe after this life where I get the American dream, I could just die in my sleep. That would be awesome. Let, let me die in my sleep. And then you finish your routine, you die in your sleep, and, and you just kind of come off like this, and you stand before Jesus. Right? That's, that's, that's the Christian life that, that's easy. We do this routine of playing it safe, and then we think we're going to stand before Jesus, and he's just going to be like, I'm good job, you know, I had all these other things for you to do, but you were too scared to do them, but I'm just glad you're here, I really need you here. No, I want to be part of a church, I want to be part of a family, I want to be the person that is laying my life out for Jesus, not to gain anything, not to gain accolades in this life, but because he deserves it, because Jesus gave his life to me. When I was still a sinner, he loved me. When I was his enemy, he died for me. And so now, what does he deserve? Nothing but everything. <laughs> and so we live this life boldly following him. And by the way, it's not always going to work out very well. <laughs> I, I mean, boldly following, it's going to hurt. People are going to hurt you. People in the church are going to hurt you. Your kids are going to hurt you. Your parents are going to hurt you. Boldly following doesn't mean it's all going to work out just fine. But we believe that what Jesus said, or what Paul wrote in Romans 5, 8, junior hires, we believe what Jesus said, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We believe that Jesus said, go and I'm going to go with you. We believe that Jesus said, I will return in the same way I left. We believe that we have eternity with him. That makes all this worth it. One more sports analogy. When I was in high school, we played football. And one of the, the terms that we like to use was leave it on the field. Maybe you remember that. Leave it on the field. You're out here. You're playing for just one hour. It's the fourth quarter. Leave it on the field. You're not going to go home and regret doing your best. Run your hardest. 
hit your hardest. Because when you get home, you get to have pizza and water and go to bed. So leave it on the field. That's the way I would love to see us live our Christian life. We leave it on the field. Yeah, you know what? Sometimes we might get knocked out, but we get back up and we keep going. We leave it on the field for Jesus. Now here's the temptation. Here's the danger of a sermon like this and looking at a passage. The danger is that we feel a little bit guilty that we're not doing enough. Or the danger is that we walk out going, okay, I'm going to muster it up now. I'm going to put on my boots and tighten them, and I'm going to go do for God. And then we fail and we give up. Or we, or we muster up our own strength and we go do it and we fail to realize that this life that we're talking about, and we're going to get more in, in this series on this, is really one going with Jesus. He doesn't say, good luck, go do great things for me. He says, let's go. Follow me and I'm going to go with, with you. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he says, go make disciples of all nations. And he ends it with, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Here, here's the picture. When I was in high school, uh, our youth group went on a camping trip. And we were out there camping. We had a, an afternoon that was off. And so me and a few buddies decided we were going to make this climb to a waterfall. There were signs everywhere saying, don't cross. Um, we didn't see them. And so we crossed. And we climbed up to this awesome waterfall. And, and it, I mean, there were spots where it was very precarious. You know, I mean, we, we were free climbing. If you fell, you were dead. And we got up there, and, and it was just like this peaceful place. Not, nobody was around. Waterfall, really cold. I mean, it was a dream. Anyway, we start coming back down. And one guy that should never have gone with us is going, and he just froze. He's in the worst spot, and he just freezes. Because isn't that what fear does? Fear often will just paralyze us. And so we, we won't move. And this happens all the time in our Christian life. You know what? It's just safer to do nothing than to keep moving. And so I'm, I'm afraid of what might happen, and so I freeze. And that's what he did. He froze, and he wouldn't move. We're like, David, you can't stay there. I know, but I can't move. And so I climbed down and ran to get help. And this was, again, a place we weren't supposed to be. Smart people didn't go there. And so nobody was around. Well, while I was gone, this guy happened along. This guy who was also where he shouldn't have been. Mature, probably in his 30s. Um, some were calling him an angel because what he did was he came over and he put his body on outside of my friends. And he held on and he showed him where, and they, they came down that way, all the way down. He kept his body on the outside. And I think that's the picture of how we do this life with Jesus. We climb the mountain. We boldly go in these risky places, but we know Jesus is with us. He's there and he's showing us as we follow. He's showing us where to put David made it down, and I got up there, and they told me about it. I'm like, where is the guy? They're like, he disappeared. He's gone. Again, that's why some were saying this was an angel that came and helped him out. But, but that's the life where we risk everything, and we go, but wisely and in his strength for his glory because Jesus goes with it. What might God do? What might God do as we boldly follow? I wish you would have seen Carson City this morning. It was so packed we were setting up more chairs. As we are faithfully moving here, God is moving. And I had a gal grab me as I was walking out saying, you know, God has put this on my heart. I want it. God is moving. And so all I would ask is, are you following where God would lead you? What is it? Where is it that God is wanting you to do something to follow him? Again, for his glory, out of love and response, not to earn. But what is it? What's your fear? As we close in worship, um, we're going we're gonna to sing as we normally do. But let the Holy Spirit speak to you. What is the fear that's keeping you from being faithful? What is the fear that is preventing you from doing what you know you should do? And I would ask 
if something comes to mind, come up here. These are our tables where we put our prayer requests. Just write it down on a paper and stick it in there. Whatever that fear is, give it to Jesus. Give it to him and let him have it. And then commit to go in faithful obedience with Jesus. If, if you need somebody to pray with you, we'll be available in the back. We would love to pray with you. If you're here and you realize your foundation isn't Jesus, you've never actually laid the foundation that I'm going to live for Jesus, do that today. Come see somebody in the back and pray with us. And you can start this, this faithful journey. Again, life is a journey, not a destination. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you. We can talk about this because it's not us doing for you. It's not religion. But this is because we love you, because you first loved us and you gave your life for us. Now we want to boldly follow. And we are so excited to see what you will do for your glory. Holy Spirit, uh, bring things to mind. Bring things to mind. And let us be faithful doers of your word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>